The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's D-I-F-P-B-H-A-M.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown, alongside my co-host, Avery Davis, back for this week and putting this one out just a day late because we had the Labor Day holiday. Did you enjoy your time off? Oh, yeah, I got to spend some time with, with some family and go down to the beach and enjoy it for a couple of days. You were in Fort Walton, you said? Fort Walton. It was pretty weather and pretty water. We were able to go down to Fort Walton and the Destin area, you know, during basketball, but that was during Thanksgiving. It was a little too chilly to get out and enjoy the weather, but was still able to enjoy a little bit of seafood while I was there and get that instead of the turkey for Thanksgiving. My brother got married over the weekend, and so I'm I'm more out from that. I think I was more nervous than he was about the whole deal, so I'm, I think I finally recovered yesterday and got some sleep, and so nice to be back in the office and be back to uh, focusing on athletics for a little bit. This is episode number 38 of the series, and in just a few moments, I'll sat down with athletic director Greg Seitz. Our podcast just recently turned a year old, and so to kind of celebrate that, we're bringing back Greg, who was our very first guest on the podcast. He will give you a little bit of a state of the athletic department address, talk about college football, kind of how things are going to work out for the Gamecocks this year. We'll talk about tickets, and also that ticket release went out earlier today, and so if you're curious about your season tickets, single-game tickets, be sure to check out that release on jsugamecocksports.com. And uh, Greg and I will go into a little bit more detail on a few other things, how fall sports are going to translate over into the spring and how busy it's going to be during the spring. And Avery, I know that includes you with uh, having to do a lot of video work because we're going to have a ton of sports going on, 17 sports in the spring going on at once. Last week's guest on the show was former Gamecock kicker Ashley Cockrell, who recently celebrated the 19-year anniversary of her historic extra point at Burgess Snow Field, making her the first female to score a point in an NCAA football game. If you missed it, all previous episodes of the podcast can be streamed at jsucamecocksports.com slash podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We kind of got our first taste of college football uh, last weekend. Austin P took on number 11 Central Arkansas in the Guardian Credit Union FCS kickoff, which is what the Gamecocks played in back-to-back years, uh, opened up against Chattanooga, and then the uh, last one was against uh, North Carolina A&T. JSU obviously split that series in Montgomery. Austin P lost that one 24-17 to a really good Central Arkansas team. And we saw UCA again on Thursday. They almost, they came close with UAB. Blazers ended up winning that one 45-35. Former Gamecock head coach Bill Clark able to pick up the win. And so, Avery, I know you uh, were sitting at home glued to the TV watching those games. Oh, yeah, it's great to have college football back. 
And uh, the thing that we was just talking about, the thing that caught my eye right after the game was from the Twitter world, Jeremiah Oatsfall, the governor's quarterback for Austin P, tweeted this, Tough one tonight. Thanks for all the support from the fans and people watching from home. Proud of how our guys never gave up. Good luck to Central Arkansas the rest of the season. College football is back. And that just catches your eye because it's not – it tells you that the game wasn't exactly just about winning and losing and, and what's to come next. It's just the fact that we're getting to play football again. Uh, certainly so. And, I, you know, just like you were talking about, and that's how I watch games now is I keep up with Twitter a lot. Even, you know, I'll be sitting there watching a baseball game and I, I seem to be on Twitter a lot more than I am actually paying attention to the game. But during the Austin P UCA game, it was the only – college football game going on at the time it was the very first college football game of the season televised and there were a ton of people that watched it and you know at one point both team names were trending on twitter and i think people are just really excited to have college football back because there for a while we just didn't know if we'd have it or not and uh and then also the other team from the ovc that is playing they have opted out of conference play this year as eku instead of playing the three to four game schedule that the ovc had kind of set aside and said you know you guys can play four games during this time during this five-week span eku decided to opt out and they decided to play an eight-game schedule and they got absolutely thumped on saturday 59 nothing by marshall they went up and uh, met the thundering herd in huntington west virginia and so uh, tough one for them up there but like you said avery it's great to have college football back and like we talk with greg here in just a few minutes uh it, it kind of gives you that sense that things are, even though they're not back to normal, we might be inching that way with the return of athletics. And it, and it kind of feels good that uh, this is how it is because it's this a little corny, but for the love of the game is, is kind of how it's being played right now instead of uh, we're in past uh, the success that we've enjoyed here at JSU. Maybe some of these games where we're overlooking an opponent, we're looking for the playoff spot or, or the big game, and we're not just enjoying that game and enjoying uh, the fact that we get to play football and, and watch it. Uh, and, and it's just exciting to see. Uh, talking about these FCS games, another tweet that, that I caught my eye was Tony Barnhart said the number one takeaway from his not watching that Austin P uh, Central Arkansas game is that there's good college football played at every level. Uh, so it's great for the FCS to get that recognition, getting to uh, have those live televised games. And the Gamecocks have a fantastic schedule coming up. That complete schedule got released last week. Of course, the game at Florida State on October 3rd had been previously announced, as well as the home game against Mercer on October 10th. October 17th, going to North Alabama, and then the FIU game, which I think most people, it wasn't a surprise when they saw that they were added back to the schedule. That, that game had been scheduled, and we were trying to figure out where we could move that to because FIU, obviously, they don't want to have to buy out that game, and we still definitely want to play it. And so we found an open date for that one. We're going to play that one on October 23rd. That's Friday night at 6 p.m. And that game is going to be on ESPN Plus along with the North Alabama game, 1 p.m. in Florence and 2 p.m. Mercer here at Burgess Snow Field. The kickoff time and the broadcast information for Florida State is still TBA. Sticking with college football and Gamecock football, Trey Berry, the senior tight end, was named a Stats Perform FCS preseason All-American last week. He was named to the second team, so another trophy for Trey Berry to add to his trophy case. And the Gamecocks will definitely be looking to get him back uh, as he dealt with a leg injury last year that made him miss a portion of the, the games, and he's a big target, uh, obviously a, a weapon on the outside for quarterback Zarek Cooper, so obviously the JSU Gamecocks will be 
excited to get him back for this upcoming year. And then moving to pro football, another big target, Josh Pearson, the former Jacksonville State wide receiver, has been signed to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 16-man practice squad that only 15 signed yesterday, and or rather on Sunday. And so Tampa Bay still has one more move that they can make to fill up that 16-man roster. But Josh Pearson, one of the lucky 15 thus far to be named to the Buccaneers practice squad. Yeah, and excited for Josh, and, and he's getting to be there in Tampa Bay with, with some NFL legends, uh, Tom Brady and, and Rob Gronkowski. They've added Leonard Fournette from LSU. It's great for Josh to just get to be around those guys, I would think. So uh, we're excited for him here in Jacksonville and, and hope that this is a step in the right direction, that he can make one of those rosters and get to play on Sundays. And there was almost some crossover there between Josh Pearson and Leonard Fournette back in 2017 when the Gamecocks went down to Baton Rouge to take on the Tigers. Josh Pearson was not active with the Gamecocks at the time, and then Leonard Fournette set out that game. He had an injury, and so we didn't get to see Fournette in that game either. Uh, Leonard Fournette was active for that game, and I got that confused on my roster card when I first looked down at the sideline. But, but yeah, so... Excited for Josh Pearson. I know he's out there making his dream a reality right now. Keep up with him on Twitter. And I know he's extremely excited about the opportunity to get a chance with the Bucks. A couple of other notes in Jacksonville State news for Coach Jana McGinnis and her JSU softball team. The Gamecocks were named one of the top 50 softball programs in the nation by D1 Softball last week. They were named the 45th best program by D1Softball.com. And the way they looked at that was they looked at the past decade, the success that the programs on that list had had, and then we're looking at the coming decade to see how the programs were set up to succeed over the next 10 years. Yeah, and the Gamecocks enjoyed success in the last decade. I mean, OVC championships in 2010, 11, 13, 16, 17, and 18, and made appearances in the NCAA tournament, won some regional games, won some big games that are going to be remembered for a long time against teams like Auburn, Kennesaw State, Princeton. And then, obviously, uh, right before this decade started, made the first super regional in school history going and winning the regional in Knoxville and then going to play in the Super Regional at uh, the University of Alabama. So the Gamecocks have enjoyed a lot of success in the past 10 to 15 years, and and obviously this honor is is well-deserved. Jacksonville State number 45 on that list. Number 46 was Ohio State, 47 Cal State Fullerton, number 48 Long Beach State, 49 Fresno State, and number 50 was Oregon State. Some, some teams in there with some College World Series championships and a lot with some College World Series appearances, so the Gamecocks are in very good company with programs such as that. And to wrap up Jacksonville State Athletic News, Roger Cook has been named the assistant track and cross-country coach for both of those JSU programs to head coach Matthew Boone in his first season with Jacksonville State as the head coach. That's everything new happening around athletics, and now it's time for today's featured guest. Greg Seitz is entering his fifth full season as Jacksonville State's athletic director since being named to the position full-time in February 2016. The coronavirus pandemic has already radically affected the fall 2020 competition season, and a lot of tough decisions have fallen on the AD. From last-minute football scheduling to adhering to COVID-19 protocol, Seitz has guided the Jack State sports programs through nearly six months of uncertainty. Here to update fans on the state of JSU athletics and to provide information on the upcoming season is this week's guest, Greg Seitz. Joined on the podcast today by Athletic Director Greg Seitz. And Greg, you are 
beginning your fifth full season. You've been AD for four and a half years now, and I would say that uh, this is probably the most unprecedented year that you've had to endure. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Tyler, it's uh, it's certainly different than when I did this podcast a year ago, but, uh, you know, we're excited now that, you know, we have students back on campus, our student athletes are beginning to work out, and uh, we're going to have a split football season this year, so we've got four games coming up in October, and, uh, you know, I'm excited just to, you know, be able the last couple of weekends to be home on a Saturday and be able to watch college football kick off, so it certainly is different, if as you said, but maybe we're getting to back to some type of normalcy. And like you said, last year you were on the podcast, you are our first full guest on the podcast, and uh, we kind of gave a state of the athletics program address and was looking to do something around the same lines this year. And uh, I think, I guess where we could really start out with is how are we approaching this year with everything that is going on? Yeah, that's a great question, Tyler. I mean, you know, I don't think any of us expected, you know, on March the 12th when uh, all the sports basically came to an end, that was our last day of competition. And I think uh, if my memory serves me right, our baseball team had beaten Kennesaw in extra innings on that Wednesday night, and that was our last really athletic event uh, of the 2019 and 20 season. And uh, here we are six months later and preparing for our October the 3rd football game at Florida State, which we are certainly very excited about and, uh, you know, happy to get the opportunity to go down and and play the Seminoles. We played them back in 2009 and had a great opportunity to win that game. Uh, A lot of folks may not know this, but we're actually one and one all time against Florida State. Uh, We played them, I think it was 1947, and we beat them 7 to nothing. And then we were ahead with 55 seconds left in 2009, and we were up 9 to 7. And, uh, you know, we just wasn't able to complete a pass to a tight end. I remember it would have gave us a first down and basically sealed the game for us. So to have the opportunity to go back, we're very thankful for, uh, you know, our friends at Florida State for allowing us to play this. And I know I've gotten the question, this does not replace our game that we will have with them in 2021. So for us to be able to go and play them in back-to-back years is, uh, you know, very exciting. I know our fans, our student athletes, coaches, and staff are very excited about that. But I think for me personally, I'm just excited because we're actually going to have a, a an athletic event for the first time since uh, playing baseball back on March the 11th. We had North Alabama scheduled. That game got moved to October 17th, and then Florida International was already scheduled. That game moved to October 23rd, but you had to go out and find Florida State, and you had to go out and find Mercer for October 10th, and those are a few things that you've had to do this year that normally you wouldn't do. How else has your job kind of evolved, and what have you kind of had to do differently this year because of the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question, Tyler. You know, a lot of folks may not realize this, or some may, but, you know, those football schedules, we we try and get those schedules done three to four years out. And um, the first thing we had to know and decide was the Ohio Valley Conference presidents got together, and they've actually voted to allow us to play four non-conference games in the fall, and then we're going to play an OVC championship schedule in the spring. And so I know I've gotten the question a lot of from a lot of fans and folks and I did a Facebook Live the other night. So the reason that we have a split schedule this year is the NCA has moved the spring, the FCS football championship to the spring. So we're we're always certainly that is our ultimate goal is to win the OVC championship, which will be played in the spring, and have an opportunity to compete for the FCS national championship, and that was going to be in the spring. So we knew right off the bat that we wanted to have the opportunity to play for both of those championships. 
And so that's the reason that we're playing uh, football also in the spring. But what the OVC presidents did is they allowed us to go out and play four non-conference games in the fall. So Southeast Louisiana and the Southland Conference, they once they canceled their game, uh, that was our non-conference game. And then North Alabama and Florida International was our three non-conference games for the 2020 football season. So once the Southeast game fell out, I knew that we had to find one. And when the OVCL said that we could play up to four games, uh, quite honestly, I just got on the phone and just started making calls and just to see who was available, who who we could play, because the uh, OVC also put a, a caveat on there that you can play your four games, but it had to be within a five-week period. And so, you know, certainly that from a date standpoint, we had to make sure that we could get those games lined up in those specific dates. So I really like the way that our schedule ended up playing all the games in fall and October. That allows us uh, for our student body and student population to get back on campus. If we have any issues uh, with, uh, you know, if we have to quarantine or isolate any of our kids, it really gives us a month, Tyler, to go through all those protocols that we had set up. I'm very grateful and thankful to Dustin Hill and our entire athletic uh, sports medicine program. They have worked extremely hard all year to ensure the safety of our kids as, as they come back and our coaches and staff. They've done an outstanding job and uh, thrilled with the protocols that we have. We're doing daily health checks of all of our student athletes. We're testing our student athletes. Once we get into competition, we'll test at least once a week and may even test more depending on the opponent. Some of the other guidelines from the SEC and the ACC requires two or even three tests per week. And we're going to follow all those guidelines and protocols, uh, you know, to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to operate in a safe environment. So just hats off to, the, to our sports medicine staff and, you know, our strength and conditioning staff because they go in and sanitize two or three times a day after all of our student athletes get in and, and work out in the weight room. So it's, it's a lot of work by a lot of people, but I'm, I mean, I'm just very, very happy of where we are. Some other questions that I've seen from fans is they look at the two other OVC programs that are already starting football. You had Austin P that played in the kickoff classic just a couple of weekends ago, and then Eastern Kentucky got started up against Marshall and we're doing the same thing. Austin P is Austin P has three games on their schedule right now. We have four. Eastern Kentucky has eight, and they're playing all these non-conference games. And so I think you could explain it better than I could. Why not take the EKU route? Why do the four non-conference games? Yeah, so the biggest thing is EKU is now not eligible for the OVC championship, and that certainly was not the case for us. We always want to compete for an OVC championship. And so what uh, Eastern Kentucky decided to opt out of the spring and decided to play their games in the fall and – you know, there's 15 FCS schools that are playing football in the in the fall. Uh, the ones that come to mind that are playing full schedules is Eastern Kentucky, uh, Central Arkansas out of the Southland. Stephen F. Austin is playing a full nine games. But Stephen F. Austin is ineligible this year for the playoffs because of APR issues. So uh, to my knowledge, uh, there may be another. I know Abilene Christian had looked at considering playing, opting out of the Southland spring schedule. So... Uh, Central Arkansas in the past has been, uh, you know, a contender for the playoffs and stuff. But, you know, for whatever reason, they chose this year not to compete for a Southland Conference title. So uh, for us, it was really never a question. We, we always want to compete for an OVC championship in football and an opportunity to go ahead and, 
and go in and play for the FCS championship as well. We expect a reduced field for the FCS championship this year. Uh, it will more than likely, if I was guessing, it will be a 16 or 8 or 20 team bracket, uh, depending on what happens a week from today at the NCA Board of Governors meeting. But I suspect that, I mean, it will not be a full 2014 field. And I think some of the championships may get reduced to 75% or if we go down to 16. So what that does is it allows for the 10 automatic qualifying conferences with the Ohio Valley Conference being one of those. And then if it's a 16-team bracket, we'll have six at large. If it's a 20-team bracket, there'll be 10 at-large teams uh, that will be competing for those other spots. And certainly uh, we feel like we've got a great opportunity uh, they are going to allow the games that you play in the fall for us to also count uh, for the at-large consideration. So I think that's a big deal. And, um, you know, and I, like I stated earlier, I feel very good about our non-conference schedule as well. So I think, uh, you know, we're going to make it very hard on the committee not to vote us in, especially if we have some success this fall. Is the Board of Governors meeting when we can kind of expect a start date for spring football and an announcement for the playoffs to begin to come? Yeah, that's 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 what we expect, Tyler. So we expect them next week when they meet in um, via Zoom or, or Teams is to come out with some clarification on that and uh, for all of our fall championships. So we'll, we should know what the number uh, in the field for soccer, volleyball, and FCS football. And, of course, cross country, those are the four sports that, you know, have already been moved from the fall to the spring. As far as fans go this fall, we've talked about the reduced capacity, what we will be looking at there, season tickets carrying over to the spring. What are some specifics as far as tickets go that our fans can look to coming up this fall and spring? Yeah, so, you know, I know we put out last week on social media and on our athletic website all of our policies and procedures for our home game against Mercer on October the 10th. We're very excited about that game. It's homecoming, and I guess you could throw in all of our normal – uh, promotions that we end up mm -hmm. having will be, uh, you know, ha taking place that day. We just hope that we have really good weather. There will be, a, you know, a reduced number of fans that are allowed in. For our students, we're going to lend them to, to 1,000 tickets. And so we'll do it very similar, Tyler, to what we've done in the playoffs in the past. So our students will, will receive free tickets. We'll put the link out about two weeks prior to our game on the October the 10th. Students will go online, uh, enter your student ID number, and you'll be able to print your ticket uh, to come in attend that game as well. But for tickets for our uh, season ticket holders, we're sending information out again to our season ticket folks. If you've purchased club-level ticket, uh, you know, you'll, your ticket will be honored. You know, I want our season tickets folks to remember, you know, it is a split season, so you'll receive one ticket and one parking pass for the fall, and then once we finalize our spring schedule, once the conference finalizes it, then you'll receive the, the other portion of your season tickets and your parking passes there. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it is going to be unusual that we end up, you know, having a split football season. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, it will, uh, we'll end up with, you know, four or five home games this year. All 17 of our sports can be competing at the same time, especially in March with basketball. So, I mean, if you look at our fall sports, we have soccer, volleyball, cross country and football mm -hmm. then our winter sports will be men and women's basketball and rifle and then once we get into the spring sports with golf and tennis and baseball and softball uh, beach volleyball and then uh, with our fall indoor volleyball so it's certainly the spring is going to be uh, jam-packed uh, 
with the opportunity of all 17 sports, especially in the crossover month of March uh, and even uh, late February, every one of our sports could be competing at the same time. So, uh, you know, buckle up. It's going to be an exciting spring for, for all of us and, uh, you know, especially our staffs that have to, to cover all those events. Is there anything that's public knowledge as far as basketball season goes, how long it will be, and then what we will be looking at when it comes to those other fall sports that have been moved to the spring, like volleyball, as far as their schedules go? Yeah, so uh, as we stated a little earlier, the Board of Governors should give us direction uh, next week in, in basketball as well. So some of the models that are out there right now and seems to be gaining the most traction, it sounds like a November 25th start date. So that's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And it sounds like we'll basically just pick up our schedule from that point on and uh, and play and, and compete from that point on uh, beginning November the 25th. But, you know, that has to go through the Board of Governors and stuff next week before it gets uh, clearance on there. So that would, if that's the case, then our normal start date would be pushed back to October the 14th from a practice standpoint. Uh, so, you know, our kids are certainly working out right now on a limited basis and what's allowed for out-of-season practice, but uh, we hope to get clarity on uh, next week from the NCA on, on that. Uh, as you mentioned, our volleyball and soccer teams, we sh would get our schedules for then. Uh, I suspect that it will be a conference-only schedule. We'll have to decide if we want to do some regional scheduling and, and reduce that conference schedule uh, in order just to help alleviate uh, conflicts on campus and and from a staffing standpoint and a facility standpoint, because when you're talking volleyball, if you still have basketball going on, uh, you know, how are we going to be able to, you know, get those games in? And, uh, you know, a lot of logistics and, and stuff that we have to work out. So I feel like we'll have a much better understanding uh, a week from tomorrow. So we'll at least know what the NCAA is going to allow us to do. And then we can meet as an OVC athletic directors group, come up with those numbers and scheduling parameters and then be able to, to plug it in and, and then get it out to our fans as soon as possible. Because I can promise you, and even our coaches and staff and student-athletes, I mean, there's, uh, you know, unfortunately right now there's certainly more questions than they are answers. But I know that, you know, everybody is just wanting to know what those answers are. And hopefully we'll get a lot of guidance next week. This is something that no one's ever had to deal with before. But right now everyone in the country is dealing with it as the COVID-19 pandemic and along with that comes with testing and looking at is it safe for athletes to play and i think athletics especially put under a microscope when it comes to that president killingsworth has done a fantastic job here at the university of making sure that students are safe that they're safe in the classrooms and they're limiting uh, clubs and organizations to meet on campus in order to be able to hopefully contain it i don't know that you can stop the spread but at least contain the spread of covid 19 for now and athletics is very much the same as far as having to continue with practice, especially with football, having to prepare for the upcoming season that is going to be here in October. What has athletics done to really keep a close eye on COVID-19? Yeah, you make some great points. And, you know, I certainly want to commend our university administration. I mean, we've been planning for months and months for the return of our students and feel like we got a great plan in. And when our students came back to start in the middle of August, you know, we did certainly have an uptick in cases, but um, I feel like for the last two weeks, when you look at our dashboard, those numbers are coming way down. And that's a credit to the work of Dr. Jeff Ryan, who's leaving our, leading our COVID task force. 
But our athletic staff, we've worked with Dr. Ryan throughout the entire process, and I, I talked a little about it earlier, Tyler, but uh, Dustin Hill and the entire sports medicine staff, I mean, we, we feel like that we've just done so much planning and preparation for our kids to come back, and we're doing daily health screenings on all of our kids. We're doing temperature checks prior to uh, them, whether it's entering the field house or going into the weight room or on the practice field, you know, to ensure that we're doing uh, random testing right now. Obviously, if you have symptoms, we get you tested immediately. Uh, and then as we get into competition, we'll be testing every week. So uh, I feel very, very good about our plan. We've got the full document on our athletic website. If someone wants to go in and, and take a look at it, the OBC will be publishing the uh, medical guidelines hopefully by the end of this week we'll make those public so that so that our fans and parents and student athletes and everyone involved will know exactly what we're doing but I can assure you that we're taking all the precautions that we can and I feel like from an athletic side we've actually you know we can really control our 350 plus student athletes a little better because they're you know they're used to being on a schedule and used to used to coming in together as a team and training and uh, working out and stuff. So uh, our student athletes have been outstanding. Now we, we have had some positive cases, uh, but we, you know, we've been able to isolate those ones that have tested positive. We do our contact tracing and, and quarantine the kids that need to be quarantined during that time. And um, you know, but I, I mean, I just can't say enough about the job that Dr. Jeff Ryan and, and our COVID task force has done in, getting us all prepared to, to get back because as you stated you know this is something that we've never had to deal with before and there's there's not a you know a road map to do it but I feel like that we're getting the best guidance from one of the best professionals in the country to be quite honest. Greg despite the coronavirus pandemic middle of the spring semester last year everything transitioned to online classes the Gamecocks still had a fantastic year in the classroom. Yeah, you know, really did. And, you know, they had so many challenges there, Tyler, because, you know, when you think about those spring sports, I mean, their seasons, uh, you know, they came to an abrupt end, right? They had really no warning or anything at all. So so I'm just certainly very, very proud that uh, all 17 of our sports, they posted the highest grade point average that we had ever had in any semester. They finished uh, with a 3.477 as all of our teams had a 3.2 or higher during that term. And, you know, that's certainly a credit to the student athletes and all their work, but also to our staff. I mean, Tracy Broom, Mike Davis, and Beverly Barnhill and our athletic academic staff, they did a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, it really helped us. Uh, when you look at the entire academic year, we had a 3.310, which was our highest ever. So uh, it's a lot of credit to the hard work of a lot of folks and just wanted to uh, – you know, thank our academic staff, but also thank our student athletes and coaches and staff too, because once that season ended, Tyler, I mean, they could have really just uh, kind of quit and, and lay down, but they really didn't, and they fought really hard and, and studied hard and finished the semester really, really strong. And I know this fall, though, I think they were ready to get back on campus and get back to attending those classes in person, but, uh, you know, they, they did a great job in last academic year for us. I have to imagine that this semester is also going to be a challenge like Avery and I were talking about just a few weeks ago. There's not a lot of people on campus right now. There's a lot of hybrid classes, a lot of classes that have moved to completely online. What are some of the challenges that our student athletes are going to be facing with classes this semester? Yeah, I think I think you, you stated a lot of it is, you know, I think there's actually quite a few folks in Jacksonville. I just think, uh, you know, maybe later on in the semester, those classes will begin meeting more and more in person 
when you're driving around campus, you just don't see a lot of foot traffic on campus. But then you go to the cafeteria, you know, which is one of my favorite places to eat, by the way. You go in there and it's packed. And, you know, you go to all the local restaurants and it's packed as well. So I think there's a lot of students on campus. I just think that, uh, you know, as more of our uh, traditional classes uh, you know, they started off in a hybrid mode or online, but I think as we get farther down the semester, you know, those classes may begin meeting in person. And, you know, I think you'll see in October or so, you'll see a lot more foot traffic on campus and, and folks in class. And I know that's that's one of those steps, as we talked about earlier, to getting back to some type of normalcy is having all those folks on campus. Was it a relief to see college football on TV the other night? Oh, I think there's no doubt. You know, I mean, I think that you know, in the in the best part of it, Tyler was that you know after the game, I think you may have seen you know when Central Arkansas and Austin P played, they tested on Monday. There was no positives from either team, so you know I think that just kind of reaffirms and reassures us that you know what maybe we'll be able to play football in the fall, which is really good. Um, you know, I know some of the big conferences, the SEC and stuffs getting prepared. I think they open up in two weeks, so. I think some ACC games are going on this Saturday. So I think as we get more down the road and in September, and certainly when we begin playing in October, we'll have a you know more data points to uh, you know to help verify and show that yeah you know what we may be able to get through this with our non-conference schedule. Is athletics something that you feel like is going to make people feel like things are slowly getting back to normal? I do. I mean, I you know we talk about it. Before, you know, athletics is, especially at our place, is kind of the front porch to the university. And I think that, you know, if we're able to do this successfully without, um, you know, a lot of cases or anything, that I think it will kind of be kind of that first step to, hey, we're maybe, you know, getting back to some type of normalcy. Now, we know until a vaccine is it's, is readily available to most of the general public that, you know, it's certainly going to take us some time. And I think, you know, we will certainly have some fans that want to, you know, wait until we get that vaccine. And, and it may be another year or two years before we get back to full capacity at all of our athletic venues. But the good thing, Tyler, is this is a step forward. So we're much further along than we were six months ago. And we know more about this virus. And uh, as testing improves and becomes more available, it will certainly help guide not only our athletic departments, but our entire university and even society in general. Well, Greg, I really appreciate you coming on this week and give us an update. And, you know, obviously, like you said, we'll know more within the coming weeks and we'll have that online and out to everyone. But I greatly appreciate you coming in and letting the fans know kind of what's going on in athletics right now. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, we're we're just looking forward to it. I, I feel like, you know, once basketball gets rolling around, we'll – have more updates on our athletic website about tickets and uh, you know and then baseball softball in the spring so hopefully we'll be able to make more advances and more announcements in the near future regarding uh, all of our sports that's great to hear greg thanks so much for coming in with us today i know you're really busy i'll let you get back to work thank you so much tyler appreciate it that'll do it for this week's edition of behind the beak i hope that you and yours are healthy and i will talk to you again next week I'll be back Tuesday with a brand new episode and another guest. So for Avery Davis, I am Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. 
For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, JSUGamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSUGamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.